You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 232. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. This is, I know this is the third solo show in a row, but that's because I've been traveling so much. Uh, you know, as you know, I... I had that uh, I had that wedding. I was going to see family on Long Island, and of course, the last week I was at uh, a, a a a conference or, or, or a festival or, or whatever you call it called uh, a Pork Fest. This is uh, an event that happens every year in Lancaster, New Hampshire, and it's put on by the Free State Project. So it is, uh, you know, it, it is um, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's it's something that uh, people in the in the pro liberty movement, as I call it are heavily involved in. You know, it has speakers like Jeffrey Tucker, who's been on this show, and, uh, and David D. Friedman and others. Um, and, uh, and actually, it's really fun up there because you, you get to spend, uh, oh, uh, you know, there's the gold backs up there. I had an episode on that. You get to spend gold. Actually, ran out of, uh, I ran out of cash at one point up there, and I was able to spend crypto, and I was able to spend gold. And uh, I, I also brought uh, for the, the, the talk you're going to hear now, I brought uh, some hundred million dollar bills from uh, from Zimbabwe that were real, but no one took those. They they wanted the gold instead, so I I, I gave out a bunch of gold. Good thing I had those uh, from last year because because uh, I just I ran out of cash. It wasn't uh, wasn't planned, but they they had some good food from all over New Hampshire and uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, also, really, really good weather up there. It's just so nice up there up in the mountains. But anyway, I was uh, I was. Um, I wanted to give a, a talk. There's some kind of academic style talks up there, uh, it, you know, for people who are, uh, they wanted kind of these Liberty 101 talks. So I wanted to give a talk on inflation because I thought that was a very topical, um, that was a very topical, uh, 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 um, very topical topic, <laughs> a very topic that's in the news, a topic that people cares, care about right now. Uh, I wanted to give a talk on inflation and sound money. And so this is, was 101. So I wanted to just introduce some basic economics. And obviously, some of the examples that I give, uh, for example, the, the first quote that I, I give in, in a second is from Ron Paul, because uh, you know I thought that would play well with this particular audience, because there's a lot of big libertarian audience. But I know that this audience here on the Local Maximum is a lot more diverse. But I think that we all want to understand economics. We all want ideas and what we can ha- how to think about our investments. We all want prosperity, and we all want liberty and personal freedom in, in certain different ways. And so uh, the, the question is, why should people care so much about this issue about inflation and sound money versus fiat money and all of that? So I'm going to get into. Um, and by the way, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to go through the the. the uh, the, the topics right now. It wasn't recorded, which was great because then I can kind of like, you know, people can interrupt me. I didn't have to worry about holding a microphone, all that. So, uh, and oh, wait till you hear about the other talk that I gave. That was not recorded because, uh, you know, some of it I might have to redact for public consumption, but uh, you'll, you'll hear about that one later. But uh, let's, start, uh, let's start into talking about an, an introduction to inflation and sound money. So the quote I wanted to start with was uh, Ron Paul from the 2007 primary debate when he was asked about the causes of the then-recent economic problems, which had yet to come fully to fruition, and his response included the following about inflation. He said, The most sinister of all taxes is the inflation tax, and it is the most regressive. 
It hits the poor and the middle class. When you destroy a currency by creating money out of thin air to pay the bills, the value of the dollar goes down and people get hit with a higher cost of living. It's the middle class that's being wiped out. It's the most evil of all taxes. So notice the superlative language. Uh, you know, in fact, the largest issue of his campaign was criticizing the government for expanding the money supply, which back then in 2007 and 2008, uh, the money supply, as I've later learned, the expansion was uh, not nearly as much as it was today, and a lot of it you know, went onto balance sheets and, and didn't go out circulating, which is why uh, today now we have a, a real problem with inflation, where uh, back then you had inflation, um, but um, as, as you'll see in a minute, once I defined inflation, but it wasn't as strongly felt as it is today. Um, so yeah, he decided that the, the, a call to the return to sound money would be the, the central thing of his campaign and, and also criticizing the Federal Reserve System. So why, you know, that's usually not someone's main issue. Uh, if someone gets, gets into the liberty movement, perhaps, or libertarian or liberal or whatever, uh, or conservative, usually don't form your views based on sound money, usually uh, are interested in politics for other issues. And, you know, maybe it's cultural issues that we've seen uh, a lot of in the news over the last week. Maybe it's other economic issues like taxes that you can can actually feel or, or maybe like, you know, uh, there, there, there's something the government's doing that, that's making your, your business very difficult. Um, so why, why is this considered like a foundational issue, a central issue that a lot of people are important, are, are, are care a lot about, even though, um, even though it, it's um, until now uh, not really uh, something that um, people understand how it affects their day-to-day -day life. And so we're going to kind of explain that today. And obviously, you know, Ron Paul is not alone. Um, libertarians, for example, from all stripes consider this issue of utmost importance. Uh, you know, I kind of uh, prepared for this talk by binging some Milton Friedman's talk uh, um, videos from the 1980s. Um, and, uh, you know, also, this is a, just an important issue in mainstream American politics. And in fact, um, inflation has been a huge issue, maybe not in recent decades until the last couple years, but uh, the, the question of sound money and money creation was one of the central uh, issues in American politics in the 19th century and also in the 20th century. And, you know, inflation um, was last probably an issue in, in the late 1970s, uh, you know, which was, uh, you know, before I was born, not long before I was born, but, you know, and, and, and now we kind of focus on, on what the Fed is doing. But uh, this has been an issue forever, uh, well, for a long time, in, not just in the history of the country, but in the history of the world. And so I, I think the reason why this is such an issue is that many conclude that this is at the heart of the attacks on our economic liberty today. And many other people who have picked up this issue also believe it's intimately related to the prosperity of their nation. And so that's why you should care about it. So we're going to answer that question today. Why is that true? Um, why, or, 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 you know, what's the case for why this is an important issue? And of course, we're not facing, uh, you know, we, we, we are now facing for the first time in our lives, for most of us, real inflation that we can see, that we can see at the gas pump and that we can see at the grocery stores and things like that. So today we're going to learn what inflation is and also a little bit about the monetary system and uh, a little bit of ideas on, on how we got into this mess. Uh, so first, uh, and we're going to introduce some classical economics. There's going to be uh, a few 
ideas from the Austrian school, even a few ideas from the Keynesian school, which I don't agree with, but you need to know what other people think, and, uh, and some history as well. Uh, so first of all, um, I'm going to put as the picture on this site uh, one, the $100 million bill from Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe is an example of a country that experienced something called hyperinflation. Now that's, um, that's an extreme version of the inflation that we see today, uh, where basically the money stops working. They didn't design their monetary system to have $100 million bills. Uh, it, it, you know, it used to be uh, I, I assume in the Zimbabwe case, you know, $100 would probably buy something reasonable. Uh, you know, th those are reasonable denominations. And so the value of their dollars got so low that they needed to print $100 million bills. And I think I bought it for something like $7. And I'm sure that a lot of that was like shipping and handling and putting it in the plastic thing. So I, it's probably worth a lot less than that. Um, fortunately, we don't have hyperinflation right now. We have we have real, we, we, we have just, just regular inflation. Um, and, you know, some predict hyperinflation is coming. Those predictions have been made for a long time. So maybe not. Uh, maybe we, maybe uh, inflation will, will be here to stay. Maybe it will be gotten under control. Uh, so under inflation, with 10% uh, inflation, as you'll see, uh, you know, you want some liquidity in dollars. You're not uh, allergic to holding dollars for a year, six months. But under hyperinflation, dollars become a real hot potato. And then you see what you saw in Zimbabwe and, of course, other places. I think it was in Venezuela recently. And a, a big example in history is the Weimar Republic in Germany, where the money start, uh, stops working. So planning for inflation and planning for hyperinflation are two very different things. And those are just extreme examples where the money stops working and society... Um, I don't like the term society collapses because a lot of things still happens, but kind of uh, the economy gets reset and a lot of bad, a lot of people lose all their savings, which is terrible. So um, maybe I should move that section to later in the talk, but let's uh, let's start by defining, you know, what is inflation? Because uh, in, in classical economics, there are actually two types of inflation. They're intimately related. They're, they're related, but they're actually kind of talking about two separate things. So the first one is price inflation. And price inflation is when prices are getting higher and higher, and you see that right now uh, with almost all of all of your prices getting higher and higher. Uh, the you know maybe there are a few prices that don't uh, go higher. One, one example might be TVs or something like that, where uh, we're just getting way more efficient at, at producing them. But uh, in general, the average price is getting higher. And the way you could think of it, it's not that the goods are becoming more and more valuable, it's that the dollars are becoming less and less valuable. So inflation, you kind of think of something, you know, growing, but really under inflation, your dollar is shrinking. It's, 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 it's becoming less powerful. Or if you think about the other way from the, from the, uh, from the point of view of the seller, if you're selling something, uh, you can get a lot more dollars for what you're selling because uh, the dollar is worthless. So you could demand a lot more dollars for what you're selling. Hey, this is really valuable, and your dollars are not really uh, that valuable, so, so you have to give me more of it. Um, and then there's something called monetary inflation. And monetary inflation means that is, is an increase in the supply of money. So how much money is actually in circulation in the economy? How, much, how many dollars people have? have? Uh, and so... Um, according to the quantity theory of money, which I'm not going to write out here, these are kind of directly related. 
but there is sort of an issue in terms of there's a lot of controversies in terms of, terms of like how you um, how you measure this. So there are multiple ways to measure the money supply. Is it just the amount of currency going around? Is it how much are in people's checkings account? Is it you know what yeah you, know, you know what exactly constitutes a dollar in the in the economy? So those are open questions. And then there are also multiple ways to measure the overall price level. So if you think about it, how can you take all the goods in the economy and add up all their prices? That's like, um, <laughs> we don't know what's being bought and sold all, all around the country or, or all around the world in dollars. We just don't. And so economists kind of estimate it. They, um, you know, they, uh, uh, they, they, they have the CPI, the, the consumer price index, where they kind of have a basket of goods and take the average. And then you know, some people talk about how well uh, that's you know hiding the problem, or maybe that's uh, maybe that's um, maybe that's uh, overstating the problem. And so we can debate about all of that, but th- those are an attempt to uh, to measure what the overall price level is. And so the idea is that um, uh, um, because of the quantity theory of money, uh, essentially monetary inflation causes price inflation. So if you have more dollars, then and the same amount of goods, well, it's not like, you know, it's not like you're richer. It's not like you're going to have more stuff. There's still the same amount of stuff to go around. And so that me and if everyone just has more dollars, that means that the, 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 the stuff is going to be distributed, um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, and, and so therefore, you know, if everyone's bidding on, on slices of a pizza pie, but you still have one pizza pie, but now everyone has uh, $100 to spend, said $10 to spend, the, the price will go up. And so it doesn't really uh, improve anyone's uh, standing. It doesn't really improve anyone's life, although it, uh, it, 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 it does hurt people because, so, well, it, hurt, it helps some people and it hurts others because some people, when money comes into the economy, it doesn't come in. Uh, to everyone at once, it comes in some areas, and some areas have access to that new money first, and then they take the advantage of the old prices before the new prices come in. And then there are people at the tail end who have maybe their wages adjusted uh, last, and so they lose when there's uh, this type of inflation. So price inflation is the one you feel. Um, the price, of course, depends on, on what's being used as money, and in this case, this is the unit of account. And usually, governments uh, today have a say on on what we use as money. They they they, they don't just have a say. They uh, they they uh, they control what we use as money and control money creation. Obviously, there are alternative currencies in the economy. You can use uh, you know, precious metals. You could use a foreign country's currencies, and of course, you could use cryptocurrencies that we talk about on the program a lot. But because governments are so big. Uh, you know, they're, they're like the, the corporation that controls the country. Uh, they they kind of get to, to decide what the main currency is, uh, so far at least, or, or as of now. Um, so uh, first of all, so, so I wanted to, uh, before moving on from this, go on to counterexamples because there's a lot of um, misconceptions about inflation. And so I wanted to give some examples of on what inflation is not. And some of you might think this is kind of obvious stuff, but like, you know, people do get confused about this. So first of all, inflation is not just big numbers or subdividing. So the the example here is, let's say we wake up tomorrow, and instead of talking about dollars, we're talking about cents. Uh, And all of your contracts, you just change dollars to cents. All of your checking accounts, instead of being quoted in dollars, you quote in cents. You you go to the the store, Mm -hmm. 
in, instead of uh, the sandwich being $10, it's now a thousand cents. And, you know, you could take out a $20 bill. What was a $20 bill? It's now a 20 cent bill. That is not inflation. Uh, that is just kind of um, subdividing the dollar and it's re-denominating the dollar. Um, and just because it's bigger numbers doesn't mean that, 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 um, that it's inflation. And, and the way you know that is, first of all, no money was created. It was only subdivided. You know, if I take, um, you know, let's take any natural resource, like uh, let's take lumber. If I have a log and I like cut that log in two, I don't say, you know, there, you know the supply of logs has gone up now that I have two logs, like maybe the counting number, but the, the supply of lumber is, is still the same. Um, or, you know, same thing. I like the pizza example. You, you slice your pizza in half. You haven't like increased the supply of, of pizza at all. Um, and so... Uh, um, this is actually something that people bring up, you know, something like Bitcoin, like, oh, it can be divided. That's inflation. Well, well, that's nonsense. And, and secondly, uh, you know, inflation is happening when the value of your dollar is going down over time. So let's say, you know, I, I can buy a house for uh, half a million dollars. And then let's say in 10 years, I could buy that same house for a million dollars. Uh, and let's say that's kind of the average thing of what's going on in the economy, not just the housing market. Uh, then, okay, the value of my dollar uh, dropped by uh, 50% in that time. Uh, but if instead in that time we re-denominated in cents, and now the in, instead of $500,000, the, the house is, uh, what would it be, 50 million cents, well, that's that's the same amount that I saved. And so it's not like that um, that, that, that got diminished in value. So that's not inflation. Um, and secondly, you know, Big numbers are not inflation. So just because you can go to Zimbabwe and see that $100 million bill, that in and of itself is not proof that there was hyperinflation in Zimbabwe. It could have been that they set it up like that. It could have been they just said, hey, we want to set up a, a, a money system where the numbers are really big. <laughs> so let's do it because we like big numbers. Uh, now, uh, it's kind of impractical to have a monetary system with numbers that are that big. So when you see $100 million, you can hypothesize that the, the, the cost of things used to be smaller and there was a period of, of intense inflation that caused the numbers to be larger, but that's not necessarily the case. I think a lot of people, when they're first you know, traveling and starting to understand this, you know, they notice that um, some countries have currencies that are worth more and some countries have currencies that are worth less per unit, but the unit is kind of arbitrary and uh, just because, you know, uh, some country has a, 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 a value that's worth less, like the, the, a yen is worth less than a dollar, which is, you know, I, I think worth less than a pound, it doesn't mean, and I don't know, I, I don't know what that, what's going on in those specific cases, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the one that is worth less went through more inflation than the one that, that's worth more. That's just, that, that's kind of, those units are kind of arbitrary. Um, I think most people who listen to the local maximum understand that, but we have to understand that some people don't understand that. Uh, and also, secondly, inflation is not just something in particular getting more expensive. So if the economy grows, uh, preferences might change, uh, some kind of shock uh, might cause some good to be difficult to make. Maybe you know something, something might become more expensive, but consumers will often shift to something else. And so that's not a change in the overall price level in the economy. So for example, if it was just gas getting more expensive from a supply shock, 
Um, well, maybe there's like a tiny bit of inflation uh, because the over of price inflation because the overall price level goes up, but it's a real tiny bit because it's it's just um, it's just gas and people will make other arrangements because everything else is working fine. And well, gas might be a tough one because that, that affects everything. But any other any other good in the economy. Um, there's, there's, it's, it's just negligible inflation if that one thing goes up, and it, it's usually going to be temporary. Um, so what's going on today is, yes, we have uh, – so, so inflation – price inflation is caused by more dollars chasing less goods. There could be a situation where it's the same amount of dollars and less goods, and that's also inflation if, like, you know, uh, stuff is starting to get destroyed or, or the economy is, is – is, 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 you know, things aren't being made anymore, like – has, that happened during COVID, um, but uh, you know today we have kind of a, a mixture in the economy where we have vastly changing preferences, and some things are going up, and the overall price level is going up, which is inflation. But individual examples might be going up at higher the rate of inflation, and that's caused by something else on top of inflation. So okay, so let's so that's price inflation is when is is when the prices go up. Monetary inflation is when the supply of money is increased. And um, there's uh, there's more dollars to go around um, in, in our system today, and we'll go over how we got there. Um, in, in our system today, what we have is uh, is called uh, a fiat system. That means that the number of dollars in the economy uh, is not fixed; they can be created. And also, uh, secondly, uh, the number of dollars in the economy. Uh, can, you know, uh, um, is not it's not backed by uh, anything um, else. So it's not it's not backed by gold. It's not backed by silver as as it used to as it used to be. Um, it's just um, backed by the full faith and credit of, of the U.S. government. And so, and if government creates these dollars, obviously there's going to be uh, winners and losers. So how does government create money in a fiat system? You know, if the money has to be backed by a commodity like gold, uh, it, it's it's very difficult. You need more gold to back it. Um, and so, um, but, and so, but, uh, in, in, in our system, you, you don't need that. Uh, sometimes in shorthand, we say like the government is printing money. Uh, it's not really printing money, uh, exa- kind of, but it, it, what it's really doing is it's, it's buying bonds. So it's taking dollars that already exist and it's, um, putting them into the economy by buying government bonds. Uh, what's a government bond? A government bond is a, um, an asset from the government that is a promise to pay a certain amount of money uh, in dollars uh, in the future, and usually it's it, well, it's it's worth less than that amount of dollars because money in the future is worth less than money now um, if things are are <laughs> working normally. Um, and so, um, government can buy those bonds from dollars on its balance sheet to put money in the economy. Uh, it's rated. It's that's um, and and they could also sell bonds to take money out of the economy. Uh, that's kind of related to interest rates. Um, you know, we often say the government is setting the interest rates. Uh, the, all of these things go hand in hand, the, the bonds, the interest rates, and the fra- fractional reserve banking. So the interest rates, w- when there's like a low interest rates, it, when there's a low interest rate, when the, when the Fed sets the, uh, the Federal Reserve can, can set a, a target interest rate, uh, that means that uh, it's going to increase the money in circulation. That means it's going to be Buying a lot of bonds, um, which means that you're getting less interest in your money. Um, so in high interest rate, 
causes people to tie up their money in bonds. So for extreme example, let's say if uh, I, I sell you a bond and I say, hey, uh, I'll sell you this bond for $100, but next year I'm going to give you $200. You'll be like, great, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you that 100 now. You'll give me 200 uh, um, um, next year. And, and I doubled my money. Now, that's an extreme, that's a 100% interest rate. But if that were the interest rate, you know, people would stop spending their money. They would slow down um, doing projects uh, or, or investments. They would, just, um, they would just want to go into those bonds and take that money out of the economy because they know they're getting more later. And so those high interest rates kind of attract buyers with those bonds. That's what the government is doing now when it says they, they increase the interest rate to like uh, for a point uh, or 75 basis points. That's like 0.75%. So I don't know exactly where it was. Was it at 1%? Now it's at 1.75% interest rate. So you get a, you give them money and you get a tiny bit back uh, next year, or you get the, the, the principal back next year, but you get a tiny bit more back next year. And that the, the, when that tiny bit changes, uh, even a little bit, that changes how much people are putting into bonds and how much people are taking out of bonds. And then there's also something called fractional reserve banking that can increase the supply of money in the economy. And that happens when uh, uh, people, uh, so, so, so that happens when uh, two people or two organizations or whatever have access to use the same dollar. So that could happen uh, for example, if I uh, deposit uh, $20,000 into, uh, into a bank, and then um, what would happen is uh, that, um, you know, that bank then loans out that $20,000 to someone else, um, and um, then that someone else also has $20,000 in their bank account. Now, um, the, uh, uh, that person, you know, isn't $20,000 wealthier because now they owe $20,000 plus interest to that bank in the future, but we both have access to use that $20,000 today, and we we both have that account balance. Now, of course, um, you know, we can't both withdraw at the same time because the bank only has $20,000. It only has my $20,000, but... Um, if the, uh, the 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 amount of uh, 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 you know it, it, it's not like my specific twenty thousand dollars is tied up with this other person. It's everyone in aggregates. So they take money from a lot of people and then they lend a lot of it out, and uh, they're not worried about um, you know everyone withdrawing at once because they know about how many people keep their money in there. When everyone does try to withdraw at once and there's not enough money to go around. There's a there's a bank run. Uh, that's not a good thing. But these banks are are, are backed by uh, by insurance. They're they're backed by kind of the the, the 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 federal government system. And so you know if there's a bank run, there's kind of a guarantee that uh, the there'll be some money printing in order to. Uh, 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 in order to make everyone whole. So everyone, so there, there's not money creation directly, but there's kind of a threat of money creation that allows this fractional banking and that kind of uh, allows this all to work. And that kind of makes everyone, that could mean that more than one person has access to the same dollar at the same time. Now, uh, it's fine. It, 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 it's not fine or not, or not fine. I'm just describing what is, but it's not... Um, 
a credit, ex- I also call this a credit expansion. It's not a credit expansion if I lend you $20,000 and then you can use that $20,000 because there's still only one person who has access to and can use that uh, $20. That's you. Um, for, from my perspective, my $20 is tied up uh, in, an, in an investment. or you know, it, So if you buy a CD, or for, for example, or something like that, that is not a... Um, that that is not a credit expansion. It's only when multiple people have access to it at the same time. It's a very subtle thing, but uh, that's that's basically how money is created in 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 the fiat system. And so, if government is is uh, and so um, it, it's kind of interesting to think about how this uh, how this changes what's going on in the economy. You know, if if the government is uh, is is spending money. First of all, if it spends more money than it takes in in taxes, uh, that money doesn't get get created for free. Like, let's suppose that the government uh, spends money on this new program. It can't afford it. And so we're not paying taxes for it. And let's say it hires a thousand people. It's still taking those thousand people out of the economy who would have worked building something else. So it took them out of the private sector. So none of that is free. Uh, so that's already taxed. It's already there's already less stuff to go around um, in order to do this thing. And and you know, by hiring these people, there's less less things cre- being created in the private sector. It's kind of hard to track what that is. And there's more things being done in the public sector. We kind of know what that is. And so it is a tax. It's just not clear who's paying for it. And so. Um, Milton Friedman called this taxation without legislation. And so, you know, and that goes on with one slogan from the American Revolution is taxation without representation. And so the deal is, okay, we understand that taxes are inevitable or, or we need taxes for the government. Of course, up at Parkfest, people don't understand it. They don't want taxes at all. But let's say, all right, we, we need to have taxes. Um, you know, maybe you could say it's a necessary evil, but it needs to have, it needs to come with democratic permission. If the... Uh, you know, if the political class or the ruling class wants to tax us, they need uh, they need to go through the democratic prog- process. In this case, um, case of American government through through Congress, uh, there could be various sort of democratic processes that that can happen. But obviously, if government wants to take more taxes, they want to get around that so they can create money. So uh, uh, that's kind of a, a, a nice way of uh, of kind of circumvent circumventing. Um, democracy, and and that's why um, it's called the most evil of all taxes because it's uh, kind of it, it's it's tax without permission, and it's often something that would never have passed Congress, even if it were thrown in with a bunch of other stuff. <coughs> so, um, okay, uh, could there be legitimate inflation? Could there be an increase in the money supply without some without government doing this? Um, and yes. There could actually be an increase in the money supply, even in a commodity standard, like a gold standard. And that's happened a lot in the history of our country. Um, you can have a commodity standard that increases. We have various gold rushes. There's the story of a guy named Mansa Musa in the 1300s. You might have heard of him. He, is the, uh, he was from Mali. And he apparently was the richest person who ever lived. And so he went from, he, he took a trip once from uh, Mali to, uh, to Mecca and he traveled with like hundreds and hundreds of people, and they all were like armed to the teeth with gold. Um, and they went through Cairo, Egypt, and basically 
they spent so much gold, they, they tanked the economy. They, the, the gold used to be worth a lot in Cairo. And then after they went through, kind of went through hyperinflation in, in Cairo because there was so much gold chasing so few goods that uh, gold became worth a lot less. Now, if you were kind of uh, in the position, an enterprising person in Cairo, you would have realized that this is a, a temporary situation and you would have said, all right, I'm just going to buy up as much gold as possible and wait till these guys leave town and then um, you know, sit on this gold for a while. And then once they leave town, the price of the gold is going to come back up and then I'll make a lot of money. So that, that might be a, a, a good idea. I'm sure someone did that. And you could also have inflation where there's like a general supply shock. You could have the same amount of money chasing fewer goods because of, say, a natural disaster occurs. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the money supply is the same, but the, the, the number of goods is less. And so prices will rise. So in that case, you had price inflation, but you did not have monetary inflation. But mostly when we're, when we're talking about inflation, we're really talking about uh, inflation as a monetary phenomenon. Money inflation, whether it's government creating money or... Um, whether it's uh, a commodity like gold that money is backed off, is based off of, and um, of course, uh, you know, government uh, 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 can't create gold. You can mine gold though, and so so more more gold comes into the economy, more silver comes to the economy, and so that happens. So monetary policy is control over money, and so we say print money, but it's more like buying bonds. Um, you can also sell bonds, decrease the money supply. There are different ways of measuring the money supply. You'll hear M1, M2, and there could also be credit expansions without printing money like fractional reserve as done by the central banks. That's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the, 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 the gist of what I've been saying. So what are some of the nasty effects of inflation? So one is, and I have a whole long list here, one is that politicians can short circuit democratic accountability. That's the real thing. It's, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, it sort of breaks down the justification for our system of government. This is very different, by the way, from something like, um, let's say the, the government borrows, let's say a town government borrows money um, to make an investment in infrastructure. And they calculate that um, because they invest in this infrastructure, the economy of the town will grow. And, um, and as a result, they'll have more tax receipts in the future. And so that money they borrowed, they can pay back uh, through growth. That uh, that makes sense, um, but they're kind of they're on the hook if if it doesn't happen. Uh, whereas uh, um, a government that can that can create money, uh, they're not on the hook. So there, there's no uh, uh, you know there, there, there's no accountability there. So they can just create money on and on. It encourages short term thinking. Uh, in, encourages short term thinking both for uh, the actors in the economy because they have access to a lot of money and they could make malinvestments into a lot of irrational in, uh, ventures um, and also encourages short-term thinking among politicians because they can get as much money now to get lots of votes and uh, you know they don't have to think long-term. Um, it is a tax on the middle class because it affects, uh, first of all, people who save in dollars. So who's saving in dollars? Uh, if you're wealthy, you're not saving in dollars, you're saving in other investments that are not uh, um, affected by inflation in the, in the long run. If you're poor, uh, you, you don't have a lot of dollars to save. So this really is something that is destroying the middle class um, and creating a two-tiered society. It's really bad for people with fixed income 
You know, this could be senior citizens who are relying on fixed income for their retirement. Um, it means that as you go on and on, their income is worth less and less. Really bad for people on Social Security, things like that. Um, now, for people with salaries, it depends on when your salary gets adjusted. If you could adjust your salary quite frequently, uh, then it might not be so bad. Um, but uh, if, if you are in kind of a large company that takes a while to adjust, uh, that it, it, it might take a while and, and that could be a problem. So, uh, and it all kind of depends on, on, on where you, 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 you live in the economy when prices are going up. Well, you know, eventually wages will go up too, but it sort of depends on, on, on what your adjustment schedule looks like. Uh, another effect is that it counteracts other government policies like minimum wage or other artificial wage hikes or price controls. Um, those policies are usually very bad for the economy, but this is a terrible way to roll this back. It's sort of like uh, some Keynesian economists like modest inflation. It kind of helps reset wages over time, um, but... Uh, I, I don't and that that's a I, I never bought into it. It's like okay, it, it destroys people, it, it it lowers people's wages, and that's a good thing. But we also want people's wages to be higher. Uh, it seems like there's a contradiction there. Um, another thing it does is it creates and exacerbates these boom bust cycles in the economy. So for more on that, you can look up the like Austrian theory of the business cycle and other uh, other theories of the business cycle. Um, another interesting effect of it is that it is a tax on foreign countries. So there's something called the race to debase. And so the idea is, you know, one country might be, let's say the U.S., they might be like, hey, why don't we print a bunch of dollars so that we can buy a bunch of stuff in other countries? And they won't know. And then also all, all the people who get inflated who own dollars in other countries, well, they don't vote in, in American election. They don't care. So... Um, uh, so, or, or, or they care, they care about their dollars, but they don't, they don't have a say is what I mean. Uh, so there's nothing you can really do. Uh, and so, uh, that makes inflation, uh, in some sense, uh, on the international scene, something that, uh, politicians kind of like. Um, but the, the problem with that is that it goes both ways. So one country is printing their money to try to buy goods in, in other countries and then those countries are doing the same back. So actually, the U.S. dollar is now stronger than currencies in other countries because they're inflating their currency even more. And so there's kind of this race to uh, to uh, uh, print up as, as much as you can. Now, in the long run, there are definitely effects. It'll, you know, uh, you know, it'll it'll make uh, people in other countries or foreigners less likely to use your currency in the long run. But uh, in the short run, it gives you like that little edge over that other country. And so, it, it, you know, it, 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 it kind of causes this race to debase, which, uh, which is leading to, to where we are today. Um, also, this has been used to fund, you know, all of the big government programs over the last hundred years that haven't gone away. You know, the military industrial complex, uh, the, uh, the administrative state, the bureaucracy, and it just grows and grows. When we had a commodity standard under gold or, or under gold and silver before, the government grew, but only at the rate that tax revenues grew. So it was much more modestly and, and much more predictably. Uh, and so in other words, this is what enables like all the worst aspects of government control that we see today. Um, now, Given that I went through this, it's interesting that politicians often don't really have a good, or even if they understand inflation, they won't tell you the truth about where it comes from. Uh, you know, so Joe Biden, for example, he blames greed, and he he talks as if it's like the fault of you know the uh, the, the the guys who run the gas stations just woke up and decided to be extra greedy, 
uh, today, and they decided to increase the price of gas by 50 cents, and uh, they just became big meanies overnight. Well, of course, that's uh, ridiculous. That's not <laughs> where uh, inflation comes from. That's not where prices come from. Uh, you always have greed in the economy. You have people, uh, buyers trying to get the lowest price, sellers trying to get the highest price, um, and then these price movements come from broader uh, economic effects, um, specifically uh, well, in, in the case of the economy at whole right now, it's because we printed so much money and people worked so much less. Uh, now people are back to work, but you know, are they working the same jobs they were before? Are they working in the most uh, efficient ways? Um, so we have less goods, um, more money. We, we, we paid people to stay home. And so that's where inflation comes from. Now, the gas prices, uh, they have additional problems where there's a, a supply uh, a supply shock as well. So that's why the increase in, in gas prices, you know, that was like 100% inflation if, if we were just basing it off of gas prices when really we know it's like 8 to 10%. So in, so the gas prices have other effects, um, other ways that we've restricted the, the supply of, of, of gas in the economy. Um, all right, so, uh, oh, and another effect of low interest rates that I forgot, I should have moved this up in the in the, in the talk, was is consolidation. So what's something that... Um, um, companies might do if they have access to capital at a very low interest rate, um, one thing they might do is, okay, uh, let's borrow money and buy out competitors and start, start, uh, start creating mergers. So um, it encourages companies to uh, um, coalesce into kind of uh, giant corporations and into monopolies. Um, and those monopolies, because they were a result of one company buying up the rest, maybe they have uh, a lot of you know outstanding um, outstanding uh, uh, loans on the book, or maybe they had to give away a lot of equity or, or whatever. But because they had access to that capital, they were able to do it, and so it encourages monopoly. Um, which I, and I think I talked about that in, in a previous episode with Denise Hearn. So I'll, I'll I'll link to I'll link to that as well. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a big problem. Okay, so. How much does inflation affect my purchasing power? I just went through some mathematics. I so inflation is always given. I've been giving it a percentage. You know, I said eight to ten percent right now. Usually, the Fed targets two percent. They think that's a good rate of inflation. Um, I like to think of it in terms of the halving time, um, so that I can wrap my head around. So, at what point uh, do my dollars buy half the stuff they used to buy? So, if there's a hundred percent inflation, that means that in one year I have half of my purchasing power. Um, that's like a powerful statement. So if, if, if there's 2% inflation, that's the kind of targeted rate, that means that half my purchasing power, half my wealth stored in dollars is taken away uh, every 35 years. So, okay, that seems kind of reasonable. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting things to come in and out uh, many times over, over 35 years. And so that um, it's still something you should think about in terms of long-term planning, uh, but uh, uh, having time in 35 years, a two that shows the 2% inflation is, is uh, kind of manageable. Now, 8% inflation, that's nine years. Nine years ago was 2013. So uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's, uh, 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 that's uh, not that long ago, and uh, that's a much larger uh, rate of, um, of loss of purchasing power, and, uh, and, and that's a problem. So there's like a formula you could put in. We could work out the formula. You guys are smart. You can work out the formula for yourself. Maybe I'll, I'll post it online at localmaxradio.com slash 232. Um, finally, I want to talk about a little bit of the history of sound money in the United States. So we've gone through here in the United States lots of periods of high inflation 
and low inflation and commodity money and fiat money. How does that all how does that all stack up? So when the nation was founded, we had these continental dollars. That was a fiat system. We were not founded on a hard money system, but it really did not work. Uh, during the Revolutionary Wars, there was uh, uh, the Revolutionary War. There was very high inflation, and uh, you know, uh, people's purchasing power went lower and lower. So, under you know, when the Constitution was put into effect, uh, George Washington, the first president, he tapped Alexander Hamilton to refound the uh, the monetary system, and he based the system on a commodity standard. So that would be. Uh, things like gold and silver. So government um, uh, could take on a national debt. Um, you know, uh, Hamilton set up the national debt. He set up a national bank. But it, it, it had to back everything in these commodities. So you did not have this kind of spiraling uh, out-of-control budget. And you, did not, you, you had a situation where uh, the government was incentivized to uh, you know, be responsible with its debt. Um, it was, it's at times a little weird having a, a, a multi-specie, which is like metal, a multi-metal thing because, because of Gresham's law. Um, sometimes the government would fix, it would be like, you know, okay, this many ounces of silver to this many ounces of gold, but that wasn't the real price. So people would want one over the other. And so there's a lot of weirdness with that, but that was the system. Um, so there were still things like credit expansions. So uh, the national bank, um, through some fractional reserve at the time could create a, a credit expansion. And then there's also like the 1837 panic, which I looked online was very, very complicated. I don't, I don't really understand it perfectly, but it seems like it was a combination of a prior credit expansion along with um, Mexico doing some p- funky things with its money and kind of flooding the, the country with, with silver. Um, and so that caused a, 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 an expansion of the money supply in silver. And so that caused the economy to get out of whack and led to the 1837 panic. Now, that system uh, was kind of put on hold in order to fight the Civil War. And during the Civil War, uh, we had something called greenbacks. And because, like the Revolutionary War, the government was spending a lot, there was also a lot of inflation uh, with the greenbacks in the Union side of the Civil War. And in the, on the Confederate side of the Civil War, it was even worse. They had money, too, and, and their inflation was rampant. And Milton Friedman had this interesting example where, uh, you know, the Confederates, they were literally printing money. They had this printing press that was just printing money over and over again. It was taken over by the Union Army. They shut it down. And then um, for like several glorious weeks, uh, their incredible rate of inflation stopped uh, until the Confederate government could set up a printing press somewhere else. So um, both in the North and the South, you had lots of inflation. um, And so... After the Civil War, uh, there was another chance to refound the financial system, and this fell to the president, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, and, and Grant, and I didn't, I didn't know this until I looked this up. I have a lot more respect for him. Now, he wanted the currency to be based entirely on gold. He supported the gold standard. Uh, standard. So there was a bill through Congress that, that he could— that the, the people who supported the gold standard um, uh, wanted to push through. They, they, they got just enough support for it. Um, they, they put it through, and it was kind of a, a 10-year plan to get us in the gold standard. And then a few private actors had this, uh, had this idea to enrich themselves. They wanted to, uh, they wanted to corner the gold market. And so, um, you know, that started to happen. And then 
uh, 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 government had to sell some gold, and there was a, a, a kind of a, 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 um, a, 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 a monetary expansion of gold in the economy. There was a crash. There was a panic of 18... Um, was it 1867? Uh, no, no, not 1870. Maybe 1872 or three or something like that. So there was a crash, and so politicians who, you know, as 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 you could imagine, there are a lot of politicians that don't like a hard money standard because then they can't, you know, spend it at will, and, and it, it kind of ties their hands in a lot of ways. So politicians were like, "Look what happened! Look what happened here with the, this, these speculators and then this crazy, messy business." So we need to end this gold standard. So Congress changed their mind and they passed something called the Inflation Bill that said we're going to inflate the money supply. Uh, Grant. Uh, uh, he was not an economic type person, so, so you know he, he was considering it, but he heard the views and he decided to veto the bill. And so that essentially ensured the gold standard in the United States for generation. And that was probably a, a fateful act, a huge contributor for the uh, high levels of economic growth in late 1800s, early 1900s in the United States. Um, and so uh, after that, uh, president's hands were tied for a while, didn't touch the uh, didn't touch the gold standards in both parties. You had a, a party called the Greenback Party, um, which was kind of a, a minor party that uh, tried to uh, tried to get rid of the gold standard. They wanted to go back to the money that was used during the Civil War. Uh, they were not successful until they eventually merged with the Democratic Party, and then by 1896, um, the Democratic Party nominated William Jennings Bryan who uh, wanted to um, inflate the money supply by um, using gold instead of silver. Uh, or not, not, sorry, including silver with the gold. Uh, so he wanted, he, he, he wanted the, the, the money to be based on silver as, as well as gold. So, so kind of make the money less hard. Now, between um, 1870, when the gold standard started, and 1896, your dollar now bought 30% more than it did. So back then it was uh, it was the opposite. It would be as if you know you might talk to your, your grandparents. They might uh, they used to talk to your grandparents. They might say, oh, I remember when you know uh, the subway was a nickel. Um, well, in, in 1896, it might be like uh, there weren't subways back then, but uh, but <laughs> you, you you might be like, oh, it's a, it's a nickel now, and and the, the grandparents might be like, oh, I, I remember when it was a dollar. I mean, maybe not that ex- extreme because it's thirty percent, but it, it it was the it was kind of a situation where it was the opposite. It was your your the money that you held grew in wealth as it did. So in eighteen ninety six, um, William McKinley won, kept the gold standard. Um, there were a bunch of gold rushes at that time that increased the uh, supply, so uh, it didn't create um, uh, a, a very harsh uh, uh, credit expansion and crash like it could have, but um, it was just enough inflation that it kind of kept the political forces that wanted to get rid of the, the gold standard at bay. Um, and so... We kept that gold standard for, for a while, until 72, basically. But in 1912, you had the Federal Reserve Act, which was another kind of central bank that can uh, uh, create money and, and credit. The money still uh, backed by gold, but now, um, you know, now they can kind of set interest rates and expand the money supply in other ways. Um, we went off the gold standard, didn't go off the gold standard, but we have the Gold Confiscation Act of 1933 during the Depression, where private citizens weren't allowed to have gold. So essentially it was fiat because the government had gold, but there was no way of, 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 
of obtaining it, and so not you know no uh, no um, uh, no uh, no explicit um, way to to buy gold from your dollars. And so then we fought another war, World War II, um, where um, at the end of that there was a, a chance, just like at the end of the Revolutionary War, and just like at the end of the Civil War, there was a chance to refound the financial system. And so. Uh, in 1946, up here in New Hampshire in Bretton Wood, you had a refounded gold standard, and 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 the idea this was a this was a, a reset the the world system, and the idea was the world uses dollars, and the dollars are backed by gold, and so you had that gold standard for uh, like 20, you know, um, 26 years, uh, and then. Uh, the United States went off the gold standard in 1972, and that means everyone went off the gold standard, and so. Eventually, you had high inflation in the 70s, uh, and then the Fed decided to have very high interest rates. In other words, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was buying bond uh, or, 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 or uh, selling bonds to so try to take money out of the economy, and that uh, caused some economic hardship, uh, arguably caused some high unemployment, but it eventually squashed inflation. And so that's kind of the world we've lived in under uh, in the, the, the late 80s, 90s, 2000s, uh, you know, inflation is under control, uh, but government spending has been going up and uh, we keep printing money. And so now uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the chickens have come home to roost, so to speak. And uh, we have, um, we, we, inflation is back, uh, even though we've had low, in, and, and, and now we've had low interest rates uh, for 20 years. Uh, so, you know, it, I had maybe two years after I graduated college in 2006 where there was any significant amount of interest you could get on the bank, and then came 2008, and then that was the end of that. So uh, is there a solution to this? Um, I don't know. I mean, the first question is, could sound money come back, some gold standard? I, I would like to see something like a Bitcoin standard. Bitcoin is not ready for prime time yet, or some maybe some basket of crypto standards. It's not ready for prime time yet because it's not as... Uh, it's not as stable as something like gold or silver market, but you know, looking back at, at grants, you know, there was a, a 10-year plan to get us on the gold standard. Maybe there could be a 20-year plan to get us on some kind of crypto standard. So we've done it before. We've refounded the, the monetary system several times, but this time is different because those were after kind of temporary moves away from hard money due to uh, war and crisis. But today we've been coasting on fiat for 50 years and we have the amount of debt as if we fought a world war, but we haven't fought a world war, so it might be more difficult. Um, and and again, um, you know, could we go back to gold and precious metals? Could we go back to Bitcoin? I don't know. Um, or uh, could uh, the government, just like they did at the end of the 1970s, get rid of um, uh, get rid of inflation by by instituting high interest rates? Is that possible? Well, the reason why they could do it then, first of all. Uh, is that um, the uh, the debt, the national debt was very was uh, relatively very low in the night in late 1970s compared to today, and so um, now if the interest rates go up, then it's going to be very costly for the government to service its debt, and so um, we're kind of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place here. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, so I suspect. They might just allow some of it to inflate away, and then um, and then maybe after that uh, try to raise interest rates. But you know, politically, it's going to be very difficult to keep inflation high because people can see it now, and people do not like that. People do not like 
uh, you know, essentially having their, their, the rug pulled out from under them, which is what it feels like. Um, now, what, what can you do? What can you and I do? I, I think it's great to learn some kind of investing. You know, I learned, um, you know, the, the economist Gene Epstein, who I've had on the show, gave a talk uh, uh, after this, uh, or, or after, after mine, on kind of the advanced class on inflation. And he was going through some hard numbers on, on investments. And it turns out for long-term investments, things like the stock market, things like real estate, um, and of course, cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin, if you're willing to hold those things for long periods of time, 10 years, 20 years, then, um, then y- you are, are beating the rate of inflation, particularly if inflation is very high. And so um, essentially, uh, you know, I said before, the, the middle class is who, you know, staves a lot of their money in dollars. Um, what um, you might want to do is, you know, even if you don't have enough to buy a house or something like that, um, well, if you're middle class, you can still afford it for the house, obviously, is something like that. You, you want to look at investments that you can make um, that uh, will be uh, in, in goods that are, are, are not money. Uh, so you can kind of beat the inflation rate. Again, um, I'm, I'm trying to look to diversify a little bit have some in the stock market. I'd, I'd like to get into real estate a little bit more, but you know, again, you have to. Be, it has to be something that you hold for a long period of time. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, you know, there are ups and downs, so it might not be worth more in five years than it is now. Um, but um, yeah, uh, the other option is to become an insider and benefit from the system. So I, 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 there might be some people who do that, but I'm not going to advocate that directly. Um, all right, so. Uh, that is um, my intro to inflation, Inflation 101. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you got some takeaways from it. Uh, if you learned something new, let me know. Uh, go on our locals, maximum.locals.com, or uh, go to our, um, um, uh, uh, just just email me uh, at localmaxradio at gmail.com. And the website, of course, is localmaxradio.com. Uh, hopefully next week, you know, I'll be back on just hanging out at home, being able to work, being able to set things up, and maybe we'll have Aaron back on the show, and, uh, and we'll get back to normal. We'll, get some, uh, we'll start getting some guests back on this program. I, I actually made a lot of contacts the last couple of weeks, so I have a lot of people to reach out to, so that'll be fun. All right, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.